You are listening to the Quest for Wholeness podcast, a biopsychosocial spiritual guide. If you're interested in the human experience, health, wholeness, and how everything is interconnected, then you are in the right place. In this show, we will explore the interconnected realms of health that lead to whole human beings. My name is Lexi Burtz, and I'm passionate about holistic well-being, longevity, and I'm armed with an education in psychology. I'm so grateful to have you here with me. Welcome to a Quest for Wholeness podcast. Coming up on a Quest for Wholeness podcast. The reality is, is that it's only 20% that needs to be perfect. And the 80% needs to be just good enough. So if you can let that sink in, if you are someone that does have a high stickler, that can be really challenging, right? To be able to flip the script and think, oh my goodness, how could I possibly only do 20% in the in the the, the great zone and the other 80% in the good enough zone? Our guest today is Maddie Brown. She asked to use her cultural bio for something a little bit different, and I'm so excited to share it. A woman, she, her, white girl from the Vancouver, British Columbia, who still resides here. Lover of arts, culture, and traveling. Flight attendant for over 19 years. Business owner. Safe talk and assist facilitator. Plant mother. Yogi. Auntie. Tea drinker. Avid journal writer and trained singer. Raised in the middle class and passionate about personal growth. Maddie is a new friend of mine. We were connected through a fellow friend, Max, who will also be on this podcast. And Max knew we would hit it off, and we sure did. Maddie and I have a lot of shared insight, experience, and perspective on the world. And it was so amazing to have this conversation with her, and I'm honored to have her as a new friend. If you prefer to watch versus listen, you can find this episode over on YouTube. Here we go with Maddie Brown. Hey, Maddie, welcome to the podcast. So I just want to jump right in and get to the good stuff here. So I want you to share with us what mental fitness is. I feel like we all know what those two words are, but when they're together, uh, it means something special and significant. So if you could share with us about everything mental fitness. Oh my goodness. Okay. Broad topic. I'll try to make it as succinct and kind of clear as possible uh, for everyone to understand. So mental fitness is really your ability to deal with life's challenges in a positive rather than negative mindset. So we kind of know at this stage with neuroscience, right, that there's kind of two sides to the brain, kind of looks like a, a little bit of a scramble in there with a line down the middle. And one side of our brain is very attuned to sort of habitual patterns, survivor's brain. A lot of people have probably heard it called before. And then the other side of the brain is very much more kind of exploratory. And we call that side the sage brain. And the sage brain kind of houses what we like to call our truest essence. So our truest essence is kind of the fingerprint that all of us come into the world with and have the entire time that we spend on this planet. Um, So it's a very unique essence that we bring as we come into this world. And what mental fitness essentially does is through kind of an operating system, 
is it quiets the saboteur brain. So this is the brain that has nine different prototypes of characters that are in there sabotaging us all the time, as well as the master saboteur, which is the judge. And so it kind of quiets that side of the brain and it increases the mental muscle we call the self-command muscle in the right side of the brain, which is the sage brain. So essentially what we see is we start to see less negative emotion, thoughts, feelings, and patterning, more positive like habits, thoughts, feelings, and, and habits, right? So we're kind of recalibrating the brain and kind of implementing a new operating system into your brain. And that's what mental fitness is. We get a chance to open up your brain, rearrange some things, the neural pathways in, in the brain, and then be able to adjust how you're living because we're we're making those changes. Whoa, there's a lot of good stuff there. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people will be really familiar with those saboteurs, right? Because that's kind of that voice in our head saying, you can't do it, you're fat, you bought X, Y, Z, literally plug in whatever you want there. So it sounds so great to have more of that balance or to be living in those that positive space, but it's not easy. It's not easy work. Correct. It's actually, it's actually simple, but it's not <laughs> easy, right? Because mm. what mental fitness requires is it requires daily practice and interrupting those normal patterns. So one of the things we always talk about in mental fitness is the most inopportune time that you feel like you want to practice your mindfulness is the time that you need it the most, right? So it's like you have to interrupt those patterns and it has to be consistent. These are kind of the two things that have to happen simultaneously. Um, and because mental fitness is so based on muscle, muscle is 80% of what we're actually shifting in here. And you can see this on MRI imaging, right? Like you can see the gray matter after seven weeks, the gray matter on the left side of the brain decreasing and the gray matter on the right side of the brain increasing. And so kind of what we're, what we're doing here is we're, we're be able to measure, um, the ability of someone's mental fitness or their EQ, their emotional quotient to improve over a very short period of time. Interesting. And I want to dive into kind of some of those techniques and skills to build that mental muscle. But before we go there, I want to backtrack a little bit too. So I would love for you to share with us uh, kind of your journey from being at the crisis center for suicide prevention to becoming a certified mental fitness and empowerment coach. Yeah. Oh man. It's been, um, it's been a really interesting journey. So I, yeah, I started at the crisis center about 12 or 13 years ago um, in a volunteer capacity. So something was compelling. It was calling to me to go and be of service in my community. Um, I knew I wanted to do something that was going to help people. I thought that, you know, there was, there's something in the natural wheelhouse of me at my stage, right. That was kind of calling into this area of wanting to do something uh, to help my community. And so I just kind of looked at some roles and, and, applied and and got in and and I started working uh the distress lines at the crisis center and the things I learned there really 
really deeply impacted and shifted how I coach now, who I am as a person, how big of a container I can hold for uh, difficult conversations and all sorts mm-hmm. of things that are going to come up in life, conflict and, um, you know, challenging situations. So I spent six years there. Um, and after I felt like I kind of learned what I needed to learn there, uh, made some great friends and colleagues, uh, I, I just knew that I didn't want to stop, that I wanted to keep going in some other capacity to use these skills to keep helping my community, helping others, going deeper within myself, uh, learning more. And so coaching just really felt like the right place to start. Um, so as much as they occupy very different space spaces, right, like coaching tends to occupy a very forward thinking space, what's possible, let's dream, like that kind of space. And crisis center is very much kind of here and now space. There's a lot of alignment there though, right? When you're supporting people, when you're listening deeply, when you are kind of, you know, like I said, being in service of others. And there was a piece here that I knew that it would fulfill a meaningful uh, life for me, that there would be meaning in this life choice of a career if I was going to take on this coaching. And so, um, yeah, off I went and I went through CTI, which is Coach Training Institute. And then after that, um, it was on to positive intelligence uh, to get certification to be a mental fitness coach. Wow. So I, I want to go back to something you just said about being kind of called and like pulled to the crisis center, like your sage kind of tapping into that. And I wonder if you have any suggestions or tips on how to cultivate that listening, because I think that's what a lot of people have a challenge with, right? Is they aren't really sure what they want to do. And sometimes it could be like a, like a glimpse, right? Like a flashbulb of that feeling. But then if you don't pay attention to that, you might lose that, right? Yeah. And life can be really confusing <laughs> about what, what direction you want to go. So I wonder if there's something, yeah, you could share with us about kind of tapping into that sage brain. Yeah. Oh, so much. I mean, there's so many aspects in in which to do this, right? I think mining your own values is a really powerful way to start. Um, When you can get clear about, because your values don't likely change throughout your life, right? They're very much kind of ingrained there when you're growing up and, you know, you might have a couple of minor shifts, but for the most part, your values are really who you are and kind of the makeup of your personal DNA. And so I think mining for your values, and I mean, in a coaching capacity, the way that we would do that, um, well, one of the ways that we would do that would be to talk about a peak life experience. Mm. So for example, we would ask a client, um, you know, kind of get them into a, like a calm state, you know, to start off and just really kind of clear the mind as much as possible. And then we might ask our clients like, can you think of a time or tell me about a time where you were so unbelievably happy or you felt so much freedom or you felt so much joy in your life that it was just uncontainable. You couldn't contain it anymore. And we kind of let that settle with the client. And then from there, as the client kind of opens and shares that story about peak experience, we're listening for those values 
right? Mm -hmm. We're able to sort of extract those values out. And, um, and then once the client is finished, it's like, okay, well, here's what I heard. Like, what resonates there for you? And I think making that alignment with values and sort of tying that to a career it's like, okay, well, it narrows the gap a bit, right? It gives us a bit more of a clear lane around how we can move forward in search of something else in, with a more purpose-driven intention. That is a huge theme that's come up across a couple episodes I've already done. Mm -hmm. One with my boss, who's an employment mm -hmm. coach for um, a long time and now mm -hmm. runs our podcasting space. And um, he talks a lot about, yeah, finding your values. And then you don't have to kill yourself to make a living. But like, how can you kind of authentically find your version of success and pursue that? And another person, Daryl, she also talks about the importance of aligning self with with value. So I'm seeing these really beautiful <laughs> themes coming up in all these conversations and how cool, how cool is that? So yeah, I think that's a great actionable tip that people could even do right now. You know, after you finish listening to this episode, of course, yeah. you can sit with yourself and, and, and put yourself, what is that peak state and, and just maybe even jot down some of the values that you might identify from, um, practicing having that exercise. Absolutely. Like use journaling as a tool. Um, you know, the, the sage power of navigate is a power, a powerful one too, where you can really put yourself into an end of life state and healthy of, of body and mind, right? No illnesses, no nothing, but imagining yourself at a much older age and looking back at your life and thinking in this moment, like what would be important right now? Ooh. So it's another kind of shift. It's, it's this visualization sort of, right, of being able to put yourself in a, a projected future state. And that helps, again, really solidify, like, what is important truly, not just the the human doing, but what's the human beingness of it all? And I think that that piece is, is really important. Mm the human being, not the human doing. That's something I always bring myself back to when I'm anxiously running around from task to task, feeling like I need to get this done that, oh, hey, I'm not here to do. I can actually just be in this moment. Yes. Right. And that's saboteur, right? To tie it back to mental fitness, that person sitting there with a checklist being like, have to get this done, have to get that done, check, 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 check. If you don't get this done, you're not achieving, you're not a good enough person, you're not going to get things done. All saboteur narrative, right? Um, so it's those presencing moments that can help bring us back to sage, sage place in the brain, into that beingness. So I, I want to stick on this for a little bit longer too, mm. because I think that doing task oriented, focused, go, go, go is very much exemplary of our society. And even some of the responsibilities that we have as individuals living in this, you know, highly connected, productive world. <laughs> yeah. So for, for somebody who is just exploring, maybe doing less, for example, 
-hmm. and wanting to cultivate more awareness with self and maybe Mm -hmm. mindfulness. What are some, what's some advice that you could give somebody who's just beginning to scratch the surface with this stuff and has very real responsibilities that they need to get done? Yeah, absolutely. It's that never ending teeter totter, right? Of like, oh my gosh, there's so much on the to-do list and how do we get it all done and not fall apart um, while doing it? And I think one of the biggest tools uh, kind of falls into that 80-20 rule. I think that a lot of people in society feel that the 80% is the stuff that has to be done perfectly and the 20% is the stuff that can just be done good enough. When in reality, this is, again, a mental fitness stickler. One of the saboteurs is the sticklers. The perfectionist is telling you that the 80% has to be done perfect. In reality, when we're really using, you know, tools like micro habits and making those 1% shifts a day, which is proven to be the most effective way to transform, not just for short-term change, but for transformation, the reality is, is that it's only 20% that needs to be perfect. And the 80% needs to be just good enough. So if you can let that sink in, if you are someone that does have a high stickler, that can be really challenging, right? To be able to flip the script and think, oh my goodness, how could I possibly only do 20% in the, in the, the, the great zone and the other 80% in the good enough zone? I challenge the listeners to try this for one day. Make a list of all the things you have to do and separate it into an 80 and 20 list and only focus on the 20 list being well done or perfect, whatever whatever adjective you want to use. And just see how you feel at the end of the day, letting the 80% just be good enough and falling where it may. I am even thinking of myself doing this and I'm kind of taking mental inventory and being like, yeah, you know, there isn't that much that needs to be done perfectly, to be honest, but myself wants them all done completely. Right. But if I'm really honest with myself, oh, that's, that's a good one, Maddie. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's part of it too, right. Is like 20% when we're really honest about it could be like spending more time with my kids. Or making that phone call to an elderly parent or going for a walk for my own mental health or, and physical health, right? And it's like these things that we tend to just sort of push down because it could be just, you know, a wheels turning and, you know, we're kind of in the flywheel of of life all the time. But again, taking that like pause moment to really recognize what is in that 20 bucket also really helps us align with who we are. These things are all interconnected, right? So the more we live in the 20% of what's important, the more we're actually starting to align with our values and living those values that we were talking about a little bit earlier and identifying that. So you can imagine the more you generate that 20%, what happens? Well, you get you get more joy, more happiness, more fulfillment, more meaning out of your life instead of just falling back into that human doing state. I love that you brought it back to that values piece because, right, we're thinking about that can be a very daunting task. Like, what are my values? That's that's not an easy thing to think about, right? Especially if that's maybe something you're newly exploring. But yeah. I think if you can 
identify your tasks and prioritize them, Mm. bringing that will help you maybe become more cognizant of your values. And you mentioned it could be simple as spending more time with your kids, which I know a lot more people would like to, but there's dishes, homework, you know, fixing the car, whatever else may come up. And you also mentioned calling an elderly parent. And I think in our pre our pre interview chat, we talked a lot about the interconnectedness, right? Mm -hmm. And bringing out the values to our tasks, creating that interconnected piece, I think is a wonderful kind of caveat for us to explore too, because there's so much value in that. Oh, yeah. Of that interdependence. Is that what you're referring to? The conversation? That's right. Yeah, about interdependence. And I wish we recorded that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that was a great segment. <laughs> It'll live in the cloud for now. That's um, right. But yeah, it's uh, it's a great piece to sort of, uh, I guess, revisit that, you know, I think we're bombarded a lot with this uh, idea that independence is really the goal, right? That we need to get to these places. We need to get there alone. We need to suffer to do it because the suffering means that it meant something. And it's all these, you know, like pushing a boulder uphill. It feels just very, can feel really heavy at times. And I think, you know, this is what people are feeling right now. Like if we're really going to break it down into real talk coming out of COVID, and feeling this sort of isolation potentially and um, so much change happening in such a short period of time and the world getting flipped on its head. Um, This idea of interdependence, right? Relying on the systems that we have in place that are accessible for us. Why are more people not using our interdependence, right? And I think nature is always a great example of this, that like, you know, the flower wouldn't survive without the bee and, uh, you know, the rain feeds everything. And, you know, there's just so much interconnectedness that happens in nature um, that we need to take a leaflet out of that book and start asking for more help. Right. And again, that brings us back to, well, why aren't we asking for more help? And it's, saboteur energy, right? It's ego. It's it's all of this narrative that is baked so deeply in the left side of the brain that is telling us that we just don't need this, that we can do it alone. Like we can push through, we're strong, you know, all these kind of distorted narratives. Um, so yeah, it kind of, it just, it all, again, is all interconnected. It is all interwoven um, in our society around how we're relating to each other, how we're kind of suffering alone in many cases. Um, And the awareness that we are suffering alone, hopefully will prompt some people to ask for more help and get some shifting in their operating system themselves. Absolutely. And what I'm hearing too, is kind of these skills and tools used in mental fitness can help us overcome some of those self-limiting beliefs or self-imposed boundaries that we place in front of ourselves before we ask for help or or don't ask for help, right? And I can relate. I think I have in the past been hyper-independent and now I'm kind of coming back the other side. But mm-hmm. to mention your point about COVID, right? Mm-hmm. I think that really made me comfortable with being alone a lot, which I really value that time. But 
I'm realizing now that I work from home, I'm doing this project from home, all of my stuff is at my home base, the importance of like seeing people connecting and, and making that, making that in my 20, really, that's the most important. Yes. It's like making that delineation, right? Between work and home space, like separating state, right? Yes. It's like, if you're doing all of this at home, how do you carve out that space for yourself that is just for you? There's no, no work is allowed in, no stress is allowed in, no emails are allowed in any of that stuff. It's sort of, yeah, really creating that like precious sanctuary for yourself to be able to come to a space where it's just for you. I think there's some maybe stigma around asking for help too. Mm -hmm. And the society that we live in, as you mentioned, like we should be able to do it alone, right? But humans haven't evolved and survived so long alone, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This is like not in our, you know, we're social beings (laughs) more than anything. We like to be with each other and groom each other and and hug each other and touch each other. That's it's tactile, right? These are just visceral needs I think that humans have. Um, and so in many ways, yeah, this sort of push for independence and not interdependence is very, very unnatural. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like cutting that cord almost to many other things that are going to be super helpful and valuable for us to be able to thrive rather than just survive. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is brings us into a nice space, too. So I know in your coaching practice, you mentioned using the three levels of listening techniques. So Mm -hmm. could you tell us what that's about? Yes, I love three levels of listening. (laughs) So, yes, there are three levels of listening, Um, all of them important, all of them uh, useful at different times. Um, I'll give kind of maybe a brief definition of all three of them. and you can imagine, you know, it, as I'm going to talk about this a little bit, that it's it's quite tough to be in level two or three listening um, all the time. It's actually would be impossible. We actually need level one listening to be able to filter some of this stuff. And so it doesn't actually uh, take real estate in our brain, right? And, and stay there and just park. And n- then we don't have space for anything else. So level one listening is really called internal listening. And uh, it's about this idea that when we're in a conversation with someone, we're thinking about what we're going to say next. (laughs) And I think everybody can probably relate to that, right? You're kind, you're kind of listening, but you might be a little bit distracted, but you're also planning or plotting what you're going to say next to the, in, in response to the conversation. So it's a little bit more surface level, uh, level listening. And again, we need all of these levels of listening, right? Um, we can't just stay in this deep le- level of listening all the time. And then we have level two uh, le- uh, listening, which is about really, it's called focused listening. So imagine we're in a conversation with you know one other person and maybe the person is sharing something deep or difficult for them. And it's like all of our focus is directly placed on this other person, right? We're not distracted. We're paying full attention. We're using body language to acknowledge that we are understanding. And the purpose of level two listening is really to connect deeper and to understand what the other person is going through, what they're saying, right? So that's kind of level two. That's called focused listening. And then we have level three, which is actually called global listening. 
And global listening is intuitive listening around what's not being said. So Uh, we're subtext. Yeah. It's like, what's the subtext here? What's not being said? So coaches tend to be quite good at this, right? Because we can, we can notice a, a sigh in a person's voice or someone looks off to the side and is thinking about something and we want to, well, what was that? What, what was happening there? Right. So it's all about the subtext of what's not being said and, and using intuition to explore and go deeper with a person about like what they might not even be seeing themselves. So that's kind of the three different levels of listening. And as you can imagine in a coaching session, if you come into a coaching session as a client and you're, you know, you're holding something that feels negative, right? You're having negative thoughts, feelings, like you're coming in with something that you really want to unpack with your coach. If you're met with a container that is really wide and really deep, and there's all of this space for your client to notice and pay attention to and explore and vent and kind of you're looking at things or you're you're uh, challenging them to look at something from another lens. You can imagine how that feels as a client, right? It feels wonderful to have someone hold the space for you where you can say whatever you need to say. Someone's going to listen deeply to you. But also if we drop into that level three listening, it's like, okay, well, what was that? you know, um, thing that happened with you, whatever that behavior might be, or it could be a look or something that happens. So to be able to hold that for a client, I think can be really transformational. So what happens is it clears the negative space a lot sooner, right? The recovery of the negative space where they were coming into the session because now they feel um, heard and understood how they can shift into a sage brain much more quickly, right? Then we can keep working with, okay, we've kind of passed through the negative uh, phase of what you were experiencing. How can we work with this in a sage way? How can we explore it more? How can we use more empathy? How can we navigate it? All of those things are then possible because we've cleared out the cobwebs of the negative stuff. I can imagine how impactful that would be, especially over time Mm -hmm. for clients to experience as well. And I wonder if you have seen from your clients or they've reported to you, do they end up implementing this type of listening skills in their relationships? Yes, uh, I think that this has been a pretty profound shift for a lot of people that I work with to be able to, um, again, 80-20, right? Uh, A lot of us probably find ourselves in multiple relationships doing 80% of the talking and 20% listening. So it's like, can we move that bar just little increments, right? Micro habits at a time. We're not going to be able to 100% flip that right away. But can we practice using more level two and three listening in our relationships um, and just observe what shifts, observe the outcomes of, of that? And I think what a lot of people come back and report is 
when they're in level two or level three, again, when you feel that heard and understood component of active listening, conflict just diffuses. Because there's no saboteurs at play. It's not my avoider fighting with your stickler or my pleaser fighting with your hyperachiever. Now it's like, here's a human being and here's another human being who's deeply actively listening. Everything changes there because now we have true connection. And so anything that we're holding on to from the person who's coming in is just dropped. Yeah. yeah. I'm even thinking of too, like once you are aware of the tendency, right, to be formulating a response in your head when someone's speaking and these different levels of listening, when you're interacting with someone, you can almost put yourself in their shoes. And I think even that skill or exercise um, automatically increases the empathy that you have for people too. Absolutely. It's like, oh, this person might be in level one listening right now. Let me see if I can model level two listening or level three listening for this person so that I can show them what's possible in this space together. Um, Cause it's one thing to kind of know it, right? It's another thing to feel it and experience it and integrate that into your life. And I think another tool too, which is super cool around this, like around this, like the levels of listening is when other people are aware of it, you can actually directly say like, um, I think you're a level one listening right now. Like, could we hit the reset button and try to go to like level two? And it just causes or kind of promotes just more direct, open, honest communication where it's like, we can bypass a lot of this chatter, right? That's happening up on the surface level and we can drop deeper and then we'll be able to move forward a lot, a lot quicker. We can recover a lot faster from whatever the conflict is that we might be having. Oh my gosh, that, uh, that, that, that full stop, a hundred percent. I'm just thinking of even in, you know, my relationship with my partner, we have over our uh, seven years together have cultivated very, very um, helpful and impactful skills, but that one really can just get to the root of it. Hey, I feel like you're in level one listening and not really listening to what I'm saying. And I don't feel heard. Can you try? Right? Can you try? You don't have to do it, but can you try? Yeah. And just this is a pause <laughs> moment, right? It's that pause moment, taking that choice moment, and then being like, okay, yeah, you know what? I wasn't level one listening. I was totally thinking about what I was going to say next. <laughs> or hey, I'm not feeling heard. I feel like you're actually on level one listening, right? And then it's like, oh man, yeah, we're feeling the same way. <laughs> that so can save like, a yeah. lot of time. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, let's take a little bio break here. 10 minutes. Let's, you know, grab a cup of tea, use the bathroom, come back and let's agree to come back together in level two listening. Right. Beautiful bridging of communication that's possible from that place. Right. Um, so beautiful. Oh my It God. is. And yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking we're recording this on December 15th. So this episode isn't going to launch till after the holidays, but yeah. <laughs> you know, we're going into a time where we're spending a lot of time with friends, family, maybe extended family who we don't like so much or don't see so often. And I think practicing this 
could be a, a very good opportunity to practice, right? Yeah. And with people that don't know what it is, you don't even necessarily need to, like you said, if it's people you're not going to spend a lot of time with, but use the opportunity as a teacher. You're like, mm. oh, this is so interesting. I noticed this person's in level one lis- listening. I'm going to, I'm going to drop into level two and see how that impacts our connection or conversation. And that's what I'm hearing too. Obviously, there's an aspect of mental fitness that is very um, internal and with yourself, right? Practicing these um, positive mindset habits. Um, However, I think it's cool just even on this conversation, using those and using our interactions as experiences to learn and practice for ourselves, because that's the key thing, right? Is these things take consistency, as you mentioned, and practice, you're not going to be great at these right off the bat. Yeah, it's like going to the gym, right? You're going to the gym for your brain when you're using a mental fitness practice. And so if you were to go to your gym starting tomorrow, and you went once a week, to the gym, you probably wouldn't expect to see results anytime soon, right? Your consistency isn't there. You're going once a week and you're not, um, you're just not going every day. And so you're not really picking up the tool and using it um, the best way that you could, right? And so same thing is true with mental fitness. It's like the more we work out that self-command muscle and we train the brain not to go to the saboteur side of our brain, but to go to the sage side of the brain, the the stronger we get. It's exactly like going to the gym. So it's the more consistency and the um, most inopportune times that we go are the times when we sh- kind of shock our system into, wait a second, okay, we need to refocus here. Let's get back into our sage side of the brain. So since, as I mentioned, we are kind of going, we're in the holiday season. We're in it. We're in it. We're in it. Is there (laughs) any, any in the moment, Hmm. actionable techniques that people can take when say they're at a family gathering and they're kind of going to say, I think that Pete, that pleaser saboteur is a huge one that a lot of us deal with any, any tips or tricks for in the moment intervention? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, give me an example of something that would happen at a gathering where uh, you would want to change your mindset. Hmm. So, hmm. I'm thinking about the pleaser specifically because you mentioned that and just the sense of obligation, right? So, like, that's her- where I was coming from. Yeah. Say, for example, somebody's yeah. at a family gathering and they are the one who is the reliable person and they're always there and, and counted on by everybody, but they're mm-hmm. actually feeling really tired this evening. And they actually really just want to spend time relaxing and chatting with their family, but everyone is coming to them. Hey, can you do this? Can you get this? And they want to please them, but they also want that space for themselves to actually enjoy the experience. Yeah. So in order not to reinforce that saboteur side of the brain and just jump up, right? And to say, yes, at your service, I can go and do the dishes and put the turkey in and do all of these things. In order to to take that pause moment, we need to first recognize that when we're being asked this question, 
do we actually truly want to say yes or truly want to say no? Because one of the main kind of characteristics of someone with a high pleaser is they say yes when deep down they want to say no. And so when you recognize that you're in that moment, so someone comes to you and says, oh, can you please help me put the turkey in, whatever it is. If you in reality want to say no, that is your cue that you are going to a saboteur place of the brain. Because if you just jump up and say yes, you've you've reinforced that neural pathway that you're not honoring what you need or want. So let's just take that for a second, because I know that can be like a little bit to unpack. Um, but that's kind of the first awareness. It's like deep down, I want to say no, but I'm saying yes to this thing. So at that moment, you need to step away. You need to politely excuse yourself and step away. And you actually need to do what we call PQ reps to give you that mindfulness transition into your sage brain. And so you can do that in a number of ways. You can go to the bathroom and run some water over your hands and just feel the temperature of water and only pay attention to the temperature of water that you're washing your hands with. You could step away and go outside and just take five big breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth, only paying attention to the temperature of air going in through your nostrils and out through your mouth, right? You could, um, so you want to do something that regrounds you back into your sage brain without honoring what that initial neural pathway wanted to do. The initial neural pathway wanted you to just say yes, because it's easy, right? But it, it causes you as the person with the high pleaser to feel, and I'll ask you, Lexi, what would you feel in that moment where you didn't, you didn't do what was right for you in that moment? Well, anxiety for sure. And betrayal, like self-betrayal. Yeah. Anxiety and self-betrayal. So it's like you've reinforced that for yourself without giving yourself that pause moment to go to a sage brain, get yourself more into a positive headspace to be able to then respond to the request. Mm. Instead of that initial reaction of just jumping up and saying yes and experiencing anxiety and self-betrayal, you take the pause moment, you switch over to the sage brain And you allow yourself the moment to respond to the request. Instead of react is what I'm hearing. Instead of reacting and, as you mentioned, reinforcing that really deep, strong, powerful neural pathway that we've skied again and again and grooved it really, really deep, we can respond instead of react to situations. Yeah. So then you might come back in after doing, you know, a minute of PQ repping to get yourself into that sage part of the brain. And you might say to whoever asked you to help put the turkey in, you know what, would it be okay if I just helped a little bit after dinner? I'm feeling like a little bit fatigued right now. I would just love to just like chill for a little bit more, but I'm totally here to help out later on. Something like that honors what you need in that moment and shifts the um, the neural pathway to a different region of the brain, right? So it starts to repattern how you're going to respond in these situations where it would just have been automatic before. And 
let's not glamorize this because the responses from people aren't always going to be what you want them to be. They aren't always going to be positive. Maybe yeah. people aren't understanding where you're coming from because they may have been in this pattern themselves for a long time. So hmm. this isn't glamorous work. It's not yes, always yes. going to be beautiful <laughs> either. So I think just to, just to note that. Absolutely. Yeah. You, uh, you might have siblings or aunts and uncles or parents that are going to, you know, chit chatter about that maybe a little bit later, you know, so-and-so <laughs> wasn't available to help when I needed them. Um, and that's okay. Right. Absolutely. It's okay to, to have those very, very small boundaries starting because they are in service of you not feeling anxious and uh, th- that you're betraying yourself. Exactly. Which is, which is, which is the goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so as you wrap up here, Maddie, um, what piece of wisdom can you offer our listeners as they embark on their quest for wholeness? Oh man, I've been thinking about this one. Um, so I want to share a lesson that I learned while I was going through my mastery program at Positive Intelligence. And this is something that Shirzad Shamin uh, talked about at length. And I really held this really close to me as I was going through uh, the mastery program. And that is that you will never arrive to the lighthouse of self-actualization. But as you journey, what is the most transformational is taking the step with the most light in it. Can you say that again one more time for us? Yeah. You will never arrive to the lighthouse of self-actualization. But as you journey... What is most transformational is taking the step with the most light in it. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's a really good one. I think that also beautifully connects this whole entire episode of what we were talking about of, you know, identifying our values and then figuring out what those kind of daily habits, responsibilities, tasks look like that embody our values. And those are the steps with light. They are the steps with light because it's our truest essence. And sometimes there's going to be a path that has light and we're not even sure why yet, but there's just something so compelling that's calling us into that space and trusting, trusting that intuition and that light, um, that it's going to lead you somewhere that is going to open something else. Mm, I couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) If anyone has any questions for you or wants to learn more about you or your services, where's the best place to connect with you? Uh, They can connect with me on Instagram. Um, I'm at Coach Maddie Jane. Um, I also have my Google page, which is Coach Maddie Jane. And just online, www.coachmaddiejane.com. Amazing. Well, I will link all of that up in our show notes so that the listeners can easily access that stuff. And thank you so much for spending this time with me today. I'm I'm so honored. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure to connect and talk about light and saboteurs and sage and mental fitness and all of the things. Um, so grateful and just wishing everyone a happy holiday season. Thank you for joining me on this adventure today. 
If you're interested in learning more about holistic health or have topics that you'd like to hear on the show, connect with me over on Instagram at Quest for Wholeness Podcast. That's all one word, Quest for Wholeness Podcast. I'll see you next time to continue our shared quest for wholeness.